we are in a series called Game Changer, and it is a look at the life of Christ through the eyes of those whose lives He changed in profound ways. And we've gained some, I think, unique and beautiful insights into the life of Jesus through the people whose lives He touched. Today we're going to talk about being out on a limb. August 24th, A.D. 79, the blast struck with such force that no one had time to escape. Their last activities and movements would be forever sealed in a volcanic ash tomb. Even more remarkable, their stories would remain untold for another 16 centuries. It wouldn't be until 1748 that the ruined city of Pompeii was discovered and archaeological excavations began. What we seldom talk about, however, is the fact that while some 2,000 people died in that cataclysmic blast of Mount Vesuvius, many more survived. Some historians estimate that as many as 18,000 residents of Pompeii made it to safety. The game-changing moment was a one-time warning. A minor earthquake took place just four days before the blast, and it caused the underground water supply to run dry. The people that left after that were the ones that found safety. If they missed that period, that warning to escape, they perished. Our glimpse into the life of Jesus this morning is through the eyes of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Had he missed his game-changing once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that came in the city of Jericho, he and his story would have perished as well. But thankfully, Zacchaeus seized the moment, and, well, the rest we'll see was history. I want to tell you a little bit about Zacchaeus, the guy that people loved to hate. And the reason was that Zacchaeus was a Jew who was working for the Romans as a tax collector. You see, he swindled his fellow Hebrews out of their hard-earned money and lived like a fat cat because of it. No wonder the folks of Jericho avoided Zacchaeus like the plague. Now, as Jesus' earthly ministry was winding down, he passes through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. This, folks, would be the last time that Jesus would come through Jericho because within a week he would encounter the cross. So this really was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zacchaeus to meet Jesus. Jericho was packed. The, the, the term that we find in scriptures, Jesus was passing through, would indicate that he probably didn't intend to spend much time in Jericho, and probably because he knew it would be so full of people. And it was packed. These people were on their way to Jerusalem, getting ready for the Passover, which would start the, the next week. But before Jesus even got into the city gates, there was a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus that was sitting beside the road, and Bartimaeus cried out and asked Jesus if he would restore his sight, and out of his compassion, Jesus made Bartimaeus see. By the time the day was over and Jesus and the disciples were leaving the city on the other side, two more blind men are there, and they cry out for the same thing. I'm sure they had heard the story already by that time about Bartimaeus, and they knew that if they could catch Jesus on the outskirts of town as he was leaving, that maybe he'd do the same for them, and he did. Now, these two bookends of blinded eyes made to see 
have within them the story that is the focus of our attention this morning. Because you see, as Jesus moved down the streets, the crowds gathered to see, hear, or touch him as he passed through. Now, among the throngs of the people in Jericho that day was this guy, Zacchaeus, who so wanted to see Jesus, but because he stood so short, at least that's what we think is the problem, he couldn't see Jesus. And the crowd, because they, because they hated him so much, they weren't going to let him through to the front of the line, to the front of the crowd where he could see. But Zacchaeus wasn't going to let them stop him from seeing Jesus. That was his goal. He wanted to see Jesus. And so he finally found a sycamore tree that he could climb. Now, this was not a sycamore tree like we have here in southern Indiana. This was a sycamore fig tree. It was a, a very bushy tree. It had low branches. It was very good for shade. Uh, and, and there was figs on this tree, and so it was a good place for people to stop for snacks. And Zacchaeus climbed into the tree out on a limb to wait to see the only one he really cared to see. And that's when the story gets even more interesting. Now, don't you know, here's, here's Jesus. By this time, he has reached the pinnacle of his fame, and the crowds are following. They're pressing in on him. Don't you know that everybody who was there in the streets of Jericho that day wanted to see Jesus? There is something about somebody that's famous, somebody that has some kind of celebrity status, that if we're in their midst, we're hoping they'll make eye contact with us. Or if they see us, they'll smile. Or maybe they'll reach out their hand and, and they'll shake our hands and we go away. And, oh, he shook my hand. Or, oh, she smiled at me. This is a wonderful day. We, we feel that. I don't know why we feel that way, but we do. We feel that way about people who are well-known and famous. And, and when Jesus was walking down the street, I think that's what's going on here. The people are so anxious to touch him, to see him, to, to be with him. And I'm guessing that Zacchaeus in this point is trying to remain a bit inconspicuous. I suspect, don't know, but I suspect he was kind of hiding in the leaves. You see, when you're among people that hate you and you're out on a limb, you're a sitting duck. And there were plenty of rocks along the road. I mean, that would be an easy target, wouldn't it? So Zacchaeus is just kind of keeping a low profile there in the branches of the tree. And suddenly... Jesus stops, walks over to this sycamore fig tree. <laughs> and and you got to think that the people are saying, well, what are they doing? Oh, I bet he needs to step out of the sun. It's pretty hot here in Jericho. Maybe he's looking for some shade. Or maybe he just needs a snack to continue on his way. And he gets to the tree and he looks up into the branches and he says, Zacchaeus, is that you up there in that tree? Come on down and take me to your house. I'm going to spend the afternoon and have lunch with you. Now, the crowd is dumbfounded at this unexpected turn of events. You know what they're asking. What is wrong with Jesus? What, has he lost his mind? He just healed a blind man a few minutes ago, and now he can't see who it is he's talking to? As soon as he figures out who this is, he'll change his mind real quick. But Jesus didn't change his mind. Jesus knew full well what he was doing. Zacchaeus scrambled down the tree and gleefully took off with Jesus and the disciples in tow. The crowd is left in stunned disbelief. The murmuring begins again. This can't be a prophet of God. This can't be the Messiah. No prophet, and especially the Messiah, would go home with a man like Zacchaeus. But folks, Jesus always sees what the crowd does not. 
He looks beyond Zacchaeus' stature. He looks beyond his alliance with the Roman government. He looks beyond the disdain of the community of Jericho. He looks beyond the low self-esteem and embarrassment that Zacchaeus feels about himself. And he sees a man with great potential in the kingdom of God. There's a grand meal and celebration that follows uh, the walk home. All the un-elite are invited to Zacchaeus' home. I wouldn't be surprised if Bartimaeus had been invited there. After all, he'd been a beggar before then. Jesus had done a miracle. Come on, Bartimaeus. You come along with the rest of the crew. It was a terrific afternoon. Zacchaeus thinks he has died and gone to heaven, which is pretty much what happened. He died to that old way of life. And the hope and the glory of heaven suddenly fills his heart. After being in the presence of Jesus that afternoon, Zacchaeus was a new person. And he stands up in the presence of the community that is gathered there at his house. And he said, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, folks, Jericho was a wealthy community, and the Bible says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he was at the top of the rung, which means that he probably had participated in his fair share of unfair taxation. Despite his great wealth, however, what he offers here is beyond anybody's scope of imagination. What he says is way above what the Jewish law would have expected him to do. He says, Lord, I'm going to take half half of everything I've got and give it to the poor. And if I have defrauded anybody, I will quadruple. I will quadruple what I took for them. Wow. You see, folks, Bartimaeus and the other two guys weren't the only blind people that Jesus healed that day. Spiritual blindness can be worse than physical blindness. And when the blindness fell away from Zacchaeus' soul, he saw who he was and who Jesus was, and the transformation was incredible. He didn't do this to buy the friendship of Jesus. He, he didn't do this to buy the praise of the community. He didn't do this to buy his salvation. And Zacchaeus could not have known that in less than a week, Jesus would indeed on the cross buy his salvation. Zacchaeus just did this out of a sense of gratitude for all Jesus had done in transforming his life. This is one of my favorite stories in the, in the, in the New Testament. This, this is one of the most powerful pictures of transformation that we have in the life of Christ. And there are some great lessons that come out of it. Let me just share with you a few. Here's the first one. Love the unlovable. Love the unlovable. When Jesus reached the spot, remember, and looked up into the tree. This is verse 5 of Luke chapter 19. You can go home and read this later in its entirety. But verse 5 says, he, he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Do you know what I think? I think we can relate to the crowd in Jericho much easier than we can relate to Jesus. I think we can understand their disdain for somebody like Zacchaeus. Let, let me ask you this. Think for a minute of the person you like least in this world. Think of the person that you would, would be the last person you would want to see today. Got that person in mind? 
Maybe it's a person who cheated you in a business deal. Maybe she robbed you of a good reputation with her indiscreet gossip. Maybe you've been snookered by a friend into a scam and you were left holding the bag, an empty bag. I don't know who it is, but you got that person in mind? Now, what if, what if that person walked through those doors this morning and sat down in your pew? I know it's your pew, but what if they sat down in your pew? What would you do? Would you move down the row, leaving lots of space? Would you stare straight forward, not even glancing over to acknowledge their presence? Would you get up and leave the building, thinking, if they're going to be here, I'm not? Who is that person in your life that is as unlovable as Zacchaeus? If they extended their hand, would you refuse to shake it. I guess maybe the question we ought to ask is, how often am I that person? How often are you as unlovable as Zacchaeus? Because I'm here to tell you, I know there's times I'm as unlovable as Zacchaeus, and I suspect that's true in your life as well. Jesus loved knew everything about Zacchaeus and loved him despite his sin, and that extension of kindness and grace changed Zacchaeus forever. You see, extending kindness to the harsh, being gracious with the ungracious, loving the unlovable is one of the most difficult challenges we face as Christians. It is countercultural to love somebody that is unlovable. It is countercultural to forgive somebody who has hurt us and offended us. Jesus loved the unlovable Zacchaeus in the presence of an unloving community. And he didn't tell Zacchaeus off to the side or whisper in his ear. He didn't say, you know, Zacchaeus, after the crowds are gone, I'll slip down to your house. No. He announced it in front of God and all of Jericho. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to, home. I'm coming to your home this afternoon. We're going to have a good time. Jesus knew what the reaction of the crowd would be. He didn't care. You see, learning how to forgive, how to love the unlovable is not easy. Some people struggle with loving those with whom they disagree or forgiving those who have offended because we too often feel like if I forgive that person, I'm letting them off the hook. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Our forgiveness is a reflection of him. We forgive because he first forgave us. Forgiveness doesn't let the offender off the hook. Forgiveness lets us off the hook. You see, a grudge is a hard, back-breaking thing to carry. In the words of Elsa and Anna, let it go, all right? <laughs> Learn how to love the unlovable because all of us who are in this world are unlovable at some point. Learn how to forgive what you think is unforgivable because it will lighten your load. Forgiveness is about us more than the offender. And because he first forgave us, we forgive to reflect him. Here's the sec uh, second thing, and that is ignore the negatives. All the people, verse 7 says, all the people saw this and they began to mutter. I like that word, mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. <laughs> the truth is it wouldn't have mattered where Jesus ate that day. He would have been the guest of a sinner. Are there degrees to sinnerhood? 
You know, I mean, okay, you can send this much and Jesus will come eat with you. But if you get to this point, he can't come. That's just too much. That's over the limit. You know the answer to that. There isn't a limit that would keep Jesus from coming to the heart of a person who really wants to see him. Now, there will always be negative people who mutter their misery, who pontificate on their pessimism. And we often use the negative responses that they pour out to somehow make life miserable around us. Sometimes we're the ones that are negative, thinking that if I'm negative about somebody else, it'll make me feel better, but it doesn't work. That philosophy is flawed. Because you may put somebody else down doesn't lift you up. It does just the opposite. It puts the other person down, but it keeps you as low as you've ever been. According to Dr. Eleanor Kinnar, the the average person has more the, the average person has more than 200 negative thoughts a day worries jealousies insecurities cravings for forbidden things 200 and if you're going through a period of depression you will have as many as 600 negative thoughts pass through your mind you can't eliminate all the troublesome things that pass through your mind but you can stop focusing on them you can stop nursing them in your heart and mind They can come and go, but let them go because when you focus on the negative, it just destroys you. Don't let the pessimistic attitudes and behaviors of others cause you to lose heart or to give up on the good that you are doing. Jesus cared less about the opinions of the crowd because he cared more about the soul of Zacchaeus. And that little bit of encouragement forever changed this little man. Don't ever underestimate the power of an encouraging word, and it may come when and where you least expect it. Last month, I had the privilege of attending the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. Now, folks, that's been one of the things that's been on my bucket list for a long time, and I had the joy of being able to be there. It was such an encouraging day. It was a wonderful experience, and I will be forever grateful that I got to to be a part of that day as an observer. Later in the morning, I'm standing on the platform of the the Washington, D.C. subway. Now, it was a bitter cold day uh, in in February there, and I had my old top coat over my suit, one that I've had for a long time, had the collar turned up against the wind because it was really cold. And I'm standing there on on the subway platform all by myself, and there is a really nice young 20-ish young man that comes up and, and looks me head to toe and then says, Mmm, I like your style. <laughs> now, folks, you got to know, nobody has ever accused me of having style, let alone <laughs> liking my style. Well, I was startled, to say the least. I turned to him, I smiled, and I said, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, then, and then he added, he said, you know, you could get any woman you wanted with a style like that. <laughs> I'm not sure what rating system he was using, but it was D.C. after all. I thanked him again, and I told him I was married, and I had found the one woman that I wanted. And then my train arrived. But I'll tell you something. That one word of encouragement about style, I swaggered onto that train and kept, <laughs> and kept my collar up. All right? Ignore the negatives, folks. Accentuate the positives. Focus on the positives because 
you never know what encouragement will do to somebody at any given moment. Here's the third thing. Right the old wrongs. You know what, Zacchaeus, this is in verse 8. He stood up and said, Lord, I'll give half to the poor and quadruple anybody I've cheated. Right the wrongs if you can. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it just can't happen. Sometimes you can't reach back and make something right that was wrong. But if you can, if it's possible, a repentant heart and a genuine effort to make things right will always point to Jesus Christ because only those who have had an encounter with Jesus Christ will be able to want to make something wrong right again. So right the old wrongs if you can. Let me share with you two of my favorite stories from history. Perhaps you're familiar with the story of Easy Eddie, Al Capone's crooked and devious lawyer. He was a piece of work, I tell you. But he finally decided to come clean and turn state's evidence against Al Capone, which helped put him behind bars. The 1920s and early 30s were a desperate time in Chicago, uh, who knows? I know Capone spent quite a bit of time in French Lick. It might, be, it might be that Easy Eddie even came through Bloomington a time or two with Capone on his way to French Lick. I don't know. But as the story goes, one of the reasons he turned state's evidence was that he wanted his young son to grow up with a better name and reputation than he had. A year after he turned state's evidence, Easy Eddie was gunned down by Capone's old gang. It's possible he lost his life trying to right a wrong. Fast forward to February 20th, 1942. Lieutenant Butch O'Hare was assigned to the aircraft carrier Lexington in the South Pacific. And on this particular day, he is, he is one of two planes that are left in the sky against a, uh, an a incoming attack of at least five bombers. Uh, his wingman, his guns locked up, and so only Butch had firepower. He took down five enemy aircraft, five bombers that, in essence, saved the Lexington at that point in time. He became the first naval ace of World War II, and because of his bravery and commitment, was, was given the Congressional Medal of Honor. A year later, Butch O'Hare would also perish, being shot down in combat. But his hometown of Chicago would not let his history and his bravery pass away. And so they named their principal airport O'Hare International. I don't know if it's still true, but it was a couple years ago that if you go through the terminal at O'Hare, I saw it, was a, a Grumman Wildcat uh, uh, four, F4F, uh, uh, 4F4, and it was hanging there in the terminal. It was a replica of the one that Butch had flown in combat when he became a naval ace. Such heroes make America strong. Uh, by the way, did I mention that Lieutenant Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son? You see, sometimes righting a wrong really does change history. may not be possible, but if you can, right an old wrong. Last thing, restore hope. 
Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And then in this verse that we love to quote, we read, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. I loved to climb trees when I was a kid, and we had some good climbing trees in our yard at home. The easiest ones, of course, were the ones that had low branches that you could get an easy start on. But I always found it was easier going up than it was coming down. And there were times I'd find myself out on a limb coming down, and I'd have to stop and figure out a way to negotiate the rest of my descent. Have you ever felt that way? That you've been out on a limb for some reason? Perhaps you took a stand for something and suddenly found yourself alone, hoping that you wouldn't remain alone in your principles. Or perhaps you took a risk to accomplish something big for God and found yourself out on a limb hoping that you would be joined by others, that you wouldn't be alone in this venture, and that this venture for God would be worth the risk. I, I don't know where you have ever felt alone. I don't know when you've ever been out on a limb, but I will tell you this, it's not always the easiest place to be. Zacchaeus went out on a limb that day to see the most important person that he could think he'd ever see, and he came down that tree with eternal hope. Jesus gave him time, forgiveness, salvation, and an eternity to hold on to. And in so doing, Jesus gave hope to the entire community of Jericho. And you say, how did he give hope to the entire community of Jericho? Oh, that's easy, folks. If God could love Zacchaeus, then God could love anybody. If Zacchaeus could change, anybody could change. You see, what was it that, that made Zacchaeus go from being enemy number one to Jericho's favorite son? It wasn't what, it was who. Jesus came to restore us to God, to give us hope. And I can't think of anything more hopeful at this moment in time than that we have eternity to hang on to through the tough times of this life. What is the mission of the church? It is to help the seeker find the one who started seeking the seeker 2,000 years ago at the cross. We live to give hope. And what is the good news to everybody in town today? It's this. If God could change Zacchaeus, he can change any of us in this room this morning. In the excavation of the ancient city of Pompeii, one woman was found trying to flee the city while clutching in her hand a silver and gold statuette of the god Mercury, the god supposedly of safe passage. What a tragic story. What an ironic story. What a pitiful sight. Hoping in a god that was hopeless. You see, the value of hope is not that we have hope. The value of our hope is that we have it placed in the right God. And I know of only one who can promise safe passage into eternity, and that's Jesus Christ. Without him this morning, you're out on a limb, way out on a limb. Last Sunday, I know it was a snowy day, and a lot of you may not have made it um, and some of you may have planned to come that day because it was our decision day. But I want you to know, every day is a decision day. 
We don't do that because we think that there's only a couple times a year when you can make decisions. To the contrary, we just want people to have a target to shoot for. But if you came or were planning to come last week to make a decision, you didn't get that opportunity that today is your decision day. You come down out of the tree, you get off that limb, and you make Jesus Christ your Savior.